Greetings, this is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LNL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 59. LNL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Austin Bridges and Gary Bean and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. And I believe our first question is from David via Bring Forth. And he says, in his book, Soulcraft, Bill Plotkin defines soul as the vital, mysterious, and wild core of our individual selves, as essence unique to each person, qualities found in layers of the self much deeper than our personalities. He defines spirit as a single great and eternal mystery that permeates and animates everything in the universe, and yet transcends all. Plotkin argues that a fully developed person needs to journey in both directions, downward toward the darkness of soul and upward towards the light of the spirit. He says soul is ultimately an agent for spirit. Ra refers to 3D humans as body-mind-spirit complexes, but I am not aware that Ra mentions soul or its place in the cosmology of human spiritual evolution. It appears, however, that Ra does contemplate something like Plotkin's concept of a soul, given Ra's teachings of the basic function of free will, choice, and catalyst in an individual human's 3D incarnation. Can you comment on the role of soul in the Law of One? Gary, what have you to say about that? Well, I ran a keyword search on the word soul and was actually surprised how many times it came up in the lava and I wasn't even sure whether Ra actually used the word. So um, both, I'll say in general, I see soul being used in a, in a broader and a narrower sense. In the broader, soul can be used as the self, the entity, the mind-body-spirit complex. You, you hear soul used in that regard, especially when there's been a catastrophe. Um, say, for instance, the ship sinks, and uh, you might hear that there were 56 souls aboard. And in the narrow definition, um, I see soul being used for the, the disembodied self. Um, that is, everything that the individual self is minus the body, whether that is a mind-slash-spirit complex or just spirit, I guess, is subjectively determined. Um, 
I personally, I can't understand how there could be an individual self minus body. I mean, you could say that there's a discarnate self, but um, in whatever plane the self finds the self in, they manifest a body commensurate with that plane. For instance, the third density self manifests the chemical yellow ray body, the self in the astral plane manifest the astral body, and so forth. So um, Ra uses it multiple times, but um, more so in the sense of the discarnate self, the self not manifest in the physical illusion. Um, in two instances, actually, they use it interchangeably with spirit. Um, they say integration of soul or spirit complex and the integration of souls or spirits. Um, but in general, they seem to use it as the self sans physical body. Um, that's my basic rudimentary reply. Okay. Now, Austin, how about you? What have you got to say about this? Um, well, similarly to Gary, it seems like soul is often used in different contexts. And um, each person might have a unique way to define soul based on the spiritual system they're working within, which it seems like that's how Plotkin is working. I'm not familiar with his work, but based on how uh, it is described by David, it seems like it's he's sort of using the word to describe something very specific. Um, but uh, Ra uses the term mind-body-spirit complex to refer to all entities, not just third-density humans, and at all times of their existence, whether within incarnation or in between incarnation, um, like Gary was talking about, sometimes soul is used to refer to like that essence that just persists in between incarnations. And um, they use the term mind-body-spirit complex, whether an entity is in third density or sixth density, or even seventh density, or even the totality of our experience, they refer to as the mind-body-spirit complex totality. So that is a persistent factor of our beingness throughout all of our evolution, all the way back to the Creator. So the difference may be is that it seems that Plotkin and many others would define our soul as something that is separate from our physical bodies, as Gary was touching on and uh, separate from what the Confederation calls our personality shell. And it's easy to see this separation when our physical bodies may die and disappear, yet our essence continues on. But in my interpretation of Ra's description, uh, we simply shift bodies instead of losing our bodies. The personality shell, in my opinion, is also sort of an artifact of the physical body and the physical body's sort of imprint on the mind complex. So when the physical body dies... Uh, and fades away, then a lot of that personality shell also fades away. So that might also be what Plotkin is talking about, the soul being separate from our personalities, or deeper than our personalities at least. But this doesn't mean that our souls are necessarily separate from our bodies, like uh, perhaps an insect can shed its exoskeleton, or a snake can shed its skin. The exoskeleton is still an essential part of the insect, and it can't be said that it is necessarily separate from it, or the skin of a snake can't really be separate from the snake's skin until it sheds it. So perhaps what Plotkin calls the soul could be related to the mind-spirit within the mind-body-spirit complex. And I think that's sort of what Gary was um, getting at. Uh, this may also explain why he speaks about the journey downward to the darkness of the soul. 
in our present incarnations, the unconscious mind, through which we may become more conscious of the functioning of the spirit complex, it is necessarily seen as darkness. This journey into darkness is part of the spiritual seeker's journey in third density of courting the unconscious and discovering the jewels of the creator within. But to Ra, the mind and spirit are not separate from the mind-body-spirit complex. The complex aspect of seeming separation between the three is only illusory, but they are all single and unified, and they are our essence as an entity. And just a little bit more, uh, Plotkin's spirit, to me, seems very much like intelligent infinity. He uh, s described it as um, the single great and eternal mystery that permeates and animates everything in the universe yet and yet transcends all. It sounds a lot like intelligent infinity to me, or simply just the creator in general. Uh, to say that soul is ultimately an agent for spirit could still be accurate, uh, not only because anything could be said to be an agent for the creator, but even more specifically, the mind-body-spirit complex is essentially an agent for intelligent infinity, finding its way back to the creator, if that is what we would say is our soul. And even more specifically, that journey into darkness is ultimately a journey for contact with intelligent infinity, I think, at least in some sense. So even then, the mind-spirit and that journey into the darkness with the mind-spirit is still an agent for intelligent infinity or spirit in Plotkin's terms. So that's sort of how I see the two terms that David talks about relating to the law of one. How about you, Jim? Oh, yeah, good job there, Austin. Um, well, as far as I'm concerned, Ra does look at soul as being the same thing as the spirit. It just doesn't use the word soul as much as the use of the word spirit. And I think that's been uh, consistent throughout the Ra contact with other terms as well. Uh, Ra does recognize what is called prana, but is more likely to call it intelligent energy that enters through the uh, lower chakras and moves upward. And again, chakra is another term that is more familiar to a lot of people than energy center. So I think that um, in these three instances, Ra uses a word that um, most people don't use for that particular description or function. And um, I'm not really sure when um, Plotkin says the downward toward the darkness of the soul. Uh, if he's just talking, I mean, is he talking about darkness is uh, something that is dangerous or is it just unknown or I'm not sure why he would describe it and down I don't know about the down part um, so I, I um, I'm kind of kind of puzzled by the way he describes soul and and why he would separate the two because I, I don't think there is a real separation Ra uses uh, the terms pretty much interchangeably but mostly uses the word spirit any other thoughts guys a uh, quick note <clears throat> about terminology, and um, I mean, obviously, we know that uh, a word can have multiple meanings, and it can mean different things to different people. But um, it gets even more dicey when you dive into metaphysics and try to pin a term down to a definition. Um, I think with the law of one, we're a bit spoiled because Ra did have. Uh, an ability to be more precise with their terms, um, including vague nebulous concepts uh, like spirit 
or soul. But um, there's not often a one-to-one equivalency between different systems of thoughts or between different perspectives and so forth. But nevertheless, like the compare, um, comparing and contrasting is uh, a, an incredible tool for gleaning insight. So that's a, definitely a fun and worthwhile exercise. But no, no more from me. <laughs> How about you, Austin? Any final thoughts? No, nope, I don't think so. Well, that was quick and curious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think on our, our second question, we want to talk about meditation a little bit. It's something that's kind of sprung up uh, as an interest for all three of us, and we've each uh, begun to refine our meditation process. Um, before we get into specific questions, how about defining meditation? Um, Austin, do you have a good definition that you could use for what is meditation? Uh, that's a good one. I don't have a prepared answer for that, so I'm going to have to wing it. <laughs> um, meditation, I think, uh, it has a lot of definitions. <laughs> to me, specifically, how I view meditation is an entering into the mind in a way that invites um, passive listening or silence versus active thinking. And sometimes I think we can be actively thinking without realizing we are actively thinking. If you just sort of pay attention to all the thoughts flying through your mind that you aren't even really aware of throughout the day. So meditation is sort of bringing your awareness to that and paying attention to it and gently, in my mind, uh, trying to coax it into a more silent and still state. Um, not really forcing it, not really sort of blocking out thoughts, but um, sort of just gently entering into stillness as best that we can. There's also things like, you know, guided meditation, visual visualization. All of those things are useful in their own ways, and I think all of them require a sort of inward um, perception and stillness in a sense. So, uh it's a really difficult term to really nail down, but that's what it is for me. Okay, uh, way to wing it, Austin. Good job. Um, Gary, how about you? What would you call, uh, what would you define meditation as? Yeah, I'm so glad Austin went first. I'm not the quickest on my own two feet, especially not without a keyboard in front of me. Um, but yeah, I agree entirely with the direction that Austin headed and agree also with um, with his mention that there are so many ways to describe meditation. And another aspect to build off of what Austin said that I would focus on is the aspect of witnessing consciousness. Um, our usual, so far as I understand the workings of our mind slash body, um, we are identified with the contents of our consciousness, whether that is thoughts or sensations, memories, anticipations. We are constantly attached or trying to avoid these things and we make an identity out of all these moving pieces <clears throat> that um you know buddhists would tell you are impermanent they rise and they fall they have no lasting identity and um meditation then is an activity of disidentifying from from the passing play of mind and body pulling back and discovering the awareness that is aware of thoughts, that is aware of the body, that is aware of the separate I. There is 
existing right now in each of us this this um i want to use adjectives this spaciousness this openness this this freedom that is just awareness itself there's no content to it it's um free of everything free of space and time and limitation and birth and death and and it's it is to speak crudely about it moving closer to the creator and in meditation i see us as through focus and concentration and um like austin was saying uh, passive listening we pull back from the contents of our mind and rest and abide in that awareness so that we learn to witness what is transpiring um, with equanimity and it is maybe it can be called ramana ramana maharshi said that um, you know where meditation is our natural state but what we call meditation is like the the formal method um to to uh, remember that's not the word i'm looking for to get back into our natural state so it is a to wrap up my winding answer there's a method of um sinking back into witnessing consciousness good job gary i like the way you wind around there you did a really good job <laughs> um we're all kind of like explorers i think you know if we start off with the concept of unity as Ra does and see how we become individualized and move out into levels of awareness densities of awareness to provide the creator ways of knowing itself we are doing the same thing uh, by providing ourselves ways of knowing ourselves and as we enter into incarnation especially in this third density where we've got a veil of forgetting between our subconscious and conscious minds we have this identity that we more and more defined by what we do and what we want and how we feel and where we are and and this mind helps us to navigate through the illusion and to gather all these experiences and to process catalysts and, and to provide the creator way of knowing itself a way for us to know ourselves and the creator but it also seems to be a way that we almost separate ourselves uh, what charles eisenstein talks about is the uh, story of separation which seems to be necessary at a certain point up through you know most of the end of third density um we we become so individualized that um we forget that there is a larger self to which we are uh, totally attached we are part of you know we're not separate from so i think that for me in meditation what we're trying to do is to quiet the mind that is so valuable as a way of navigating through the third density illusion quiet it so that we can kind of get back to who we really are to um, commune with the creator it's it's a, it's a lifeline it's uh it's a, in case you guys you know uh, the, the creator sort of saying well if you all forget where you're really from here you know meditate hmm. Back in 62, when Don first started his uh, experiment with uh, channeling supposedly uh, extraterrestrial sources uh, philosophy, the Confederation of Planets in the service of the Infinite Creator has always had 
one primary message, and that is meditate. <laughs> and they said they have said that throughout all of well, it's well over fifty years now. And um, so there must be something to this. So I think that what our meditation is really trying to do that is to to give us a little sustenance, some spiritual food, some uh, reconnection with the Creator who we are. I guess the very simplest definition I've heard is that uh, prayer is talking to the Creator. Meditation is listening to the Creator. Hmm. So I think what we're trying to do is to uh, quiet our minds and put these valuable resources aside for just a little while, as much as possible, so that we can reconnect with what is real and and become revitalized and, and become aware of the will of the Creator for ourselves in our lives and begin to move according to that will because there doesn't seem to be anything else that is of greater value than becoming one with the Creator. And I think that the meditation gives us a potential path back to the Creator that we can travel in this incarnation, in this illusion, with this mind uh, set aside for a little while. We'll bring it back later on to you know experience and describe and so forth. But for a while, we, we need to set it aside. And I think that's basically what meditation is doing. At least that's the way I've been approaching it here recently, is to uh, try to quiet the mind so that I can perceive what is real. So any uh, more thoughts on definitions or questions? Um, yeah, I like that statement you said about um, meditation being listening to the Creator and prayer being... Uh, talking to the creator i have a in my mind it's slightly variant it doesn't necessarily disagree with it but it frames things in a different light and um, it goes along the lines of being able to inhabit first second and third person viewpoints and um, those are normally reserved for you know writing and fiction and uh, storytelling but um, when we think about it, we can inhabit all of those things in our consciousness and relationship to the universe and the things around us. So first person being, you know, I am that. Second person being, you are that. And third person being, uh, like, they are that. Or, or that is that. Sort of an objective viewpoint. So uh, my view, uh, taking meditation into that, is that um, meditation is sort of like the first person identification with the creator uh it could be called listening to it but also sort of finding that space inside of you that is the creator where you say i am the creator and then the second person when you're saying you i think that could be similar to prayer uh, where you're talking to the creator and uh, maybe the creator responds or maybe the creator responds from within in that first person but prayer is essentially saying uh, identifying the creator as you and uh, reaching out to that. And then third person to me is uh, contemplation, or what Ra called contemplation. So Ra essentially said these three things are sort of keys, meditation being the primal one, but meditation, prayer, and contemplation being sort of three uh, methods of the spiritual seeker. And so contemplation is sort of what I view as an objective view of the creator, trying to look at the creator, not necessarily talk to it, but think about it and view it in an objective light and view all of the amazing and intricate ways in which the creator manifests itself in our reality. So um, that's another sort of alternate definition I think you could take. Yeah, I like that. Good, good job. Okay, uh, any thoughts on that, Gary? 
Yeah, it is really the first, second, third person. Um, really interesting uh, way to put those three activities, so-called, into perspective. I'm going to hang on to that one. As well as the uh, prayer is the talking and meditation is the listening. Um, I Another aspect of meditation that comes to me that I get a lot from Ramana Maharshi and uh, uh, a modern teacher of his lineage, if that's the right word, um, her name is Gangaji, and uh, they speak about just stopping. How meditation is simply just stopping, stopping your agendas, your reaching, your um, your maybe your seeking, your plans, your strategies of the the ways that you're going to achieve enlightenment. Just set that all aside and just be, just rest. Let it all go. And um, I think then, from that perspective, that connects to me, to Ra talks about the study of being um, at multiple points in the law of one. And I think meditation is that tool, or maybe meditation, contemplation, and prayer, but meditation especially, is a study of being. Um, not as an object, per se, not like you would study a, a subject in school, but by through it's the practice of being because in meditation you are probably maybe for the only time during your day outside of sleep um setting aside doing it it is a, a doing in its in its own right but uh in essence it is a resting in in being it is a surrender of the conscious mind and i think it's a it's a way to live out the courtship that Ra describes between the conscious and the unconscious mind that uh, precipitates transformation. But yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah, good job. Uh, so how, uh, how do you guys practice your meditation? How do you uh, approach it on a daily basis? Do you have certain times that you meditate or a certain length of time or a certain way? Austin? Um, well, I would love to be one of the people who wakes up in the morning and meditates immediately. But whenever I do that, I just go back to sleep. Uh, even if I'm sitting up, no matter what, like I'm just not a morning person. So I cannot, for the life of me, meditate in the morning. But um, otherwise, uh, my meditation practice, I try to meditate every day. And I think all of us probably, besides Jim, all of us will say, I need to meditate more. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I try to meditate every day, at least for a little bit, uh, but I do my best to have a set meditation practice where I make a ritual out of it, where I have a specific stool that I use and a specific uh, sort of table that I use to set up a candle and incense. And I sort of clear everything away, and that sort of sets my mind into the it's time to meditate phase. Uh, so I try to do that every day for at least 15 to 30 minutes. And um, besides that, I found that earlier in my spiritual practice, I felt the need to meditate a whole lot more. And I was meditating for you know, 30 minutes to two hours every day. But um, the more I've meditated, the more I find that I can find small moments throughout the day that uh, sort of indicate meditation. Um, I use body mindfulness a lot to do this. Whenever I uh, 
notice I'm tensing up any particular part of my body, I will consciously relax it and take that moment to turn inside and um, just take a couple breaths, close my eyes, and then um, that sort of puts me back into a relaxed, more uh, conscious state. And that becomes a habit the more that you do it. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who go throughout the day with tensed muscles all over their body, and they don't even realize they're doing it, and that causes a lot of health problems. It's, I think, one of the biggest reasons why stress is so unhealthy. So if we can make a habit out of body mindfulness and throughout the day turn our attention towards what our bodies are doing, relax our bodies, and then use that as a moment to meditate, um, I think that would be very beneficial. So those are really the main ways that I get my meditation in. All right, very good. Uh, Gary, how about you? How do you uh, approach your practice? I prefer it uh, first thing in the morning, though. I am one among the legion who um, it's a constant battle to really keep that discipline in my life. I wax and wane with it, unfortunately. And There is no judgment in the big picture, and what's the hurry, right? Uh, we're already there. We're already enlightened. But... I would like to practice it more, and I don't do it enough by my own measurement. But uh, my basic, my practice consists of. There was a chapter from Scott Manilker's Universal Vision where he writes. He calls medit. The chapter's name is Meditation: The Royal Road, and it kind of set the template for me. And uh, it's really bare bones, and uh, I sit on a zafu and zabutan. And if anybody is listening who wonders how to meditate while sitting upright on the floor. You just need to elevate your butt, maybe your hips, above your your knees and ankles, something like that. Um, but the, the two-cushion method allows you to do that. You sit on a cushion so your butt is elevated, and uh, you can sit upright with an, an erect posture for a long time, at least I can. So anyways, I plop down on the cushions and um, say a little prayer, little invocation at the beginning, kind of set the tone, and um, I just, like I said, bare bones, try to keep my attention on my breath. My breath is the point. I watch it come in, I watch the pause, I watch the exhale, I watch the pause, and and without forcing it, um, just allowing it to rest gently, and when the mind wanders, which doesn't take too long, then the the objective is to be mindful again, to kind of wake up, realize that you've the attention has been taken away by thought, and then gently bring the attention back to the breath. And, and that's it. Um, it's just a repetition of that over and over and over again. And if I am consistent with it, then that muscle gets strengthened, and I am more present, I'm more mindful, then my attention is more likely to rest on my chosen point, which is the breath, kind of on its own, and stay there. But that's the thing. I'm not consistent, and I don't get that cumulative benefit. So how about you, Jim? How, what's your practice? Well, ever since the raw contact, I think uh, Carl and I tried to meditate twice a day for uh, 15 or 20 minutes, and we pretty much did that for our entire time together. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't really take it that seriously then, and I, I would use my morning meditations for planning my day, which, you know, is a disgraceful use of a powerful Shame tool. On you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, um, 
when Carla made her transition, I guess it was probably two weeks or three weeks later, uh, there was just something inside of me that said, uh, this has to become more of a central part of your life. This is important. So let's, let's get going. So I started meditating, um, I, twice a day as usual, trying to lengthen the time from 15 to 20 minutes to 30. And that took a while. And then in, uh, October of that year, I was recording uh, Carla's uh, A Wanderer's Handbook in the basement, in a section on meditation. She recommended that people read uh, Joel Goldsmith's book, uh, The Art of Meditation. So I kind of took that as a real uh, suggestion that really came from her, just in kind of a roundabout way. And uh, I, I read his book, and he recommended meditating a number of times during the day to really ingrain it as a part of your behavior. And that felt really good for some reason and I, I started doing that and uh, I've continued doing that I, I probably I guess I meditate five or six times a day and uh, it could be anywhere from uh, 20 or 30 minutes up to an hour but the length of time for a meditation really doesn't matter uh, what matters is the quality of the meditation if you can quiet your mind for a minute or two minutes and, and feel that, that just a little bit of the presence of the Creator, that's uh, quite sufficient. I mean, you've already made a, a good contact there, and it can be built upon. So I don't worry about the length of time. Sometimes I meditate longer, sometimes shorter. I try to focus, like Gary was saying, upon my breath, um, with the idea that the mind is a valuable tool that for the moment needs to be set aside. I'm looking to relax my mind as much as possible. And so I just started playing this by ear. I, I didn't read on how to meditate or anything, but um, I started taking long, slow inhalations and exhalations and watching my breath, just like Gary said. And then it seemed to be natural. The most relaxed point in that process seems to be af after you exhale. It's almost effortless to hold your breath then. Uh, you can do it for quite a while. Um so I, I do it for at least six or eight counts. Uh, I hold the breath in. I know that uh, other folks, uh, I know Amos, uh, I guess the pranayama that um, Amos practices and that Steve Timon was talking about in our very first channeling intensive, uh, the breath is held or stopped both the, at the inhale and the exhale. And um, I've tried holding it both times, but it doesn't feel right to hold it on the inhale because that's when you've got a full chest or lungs full of air and it feels like it's uh, work then and I, I, meditation shouldn't be work it should be very uh, easy and flowing in my mind so I watch the breath and I take the long slow inhalations and exhalations and hold the breath at the end and then um, I don't breathe in the normal sense I, um, I call it dragging the breath uh, on both the inhale and exhale so that you, you uh, create a kind of a, uh, a steaming sound or, or feeling. Sort of like that. And for some reason, that seems to, uh, to activate some of the uh, energy centers, especially the indigo ray and uh, occasionally the violet and the whole brain. So I look at that as a, a helpful thing. Um, that activity there seems to be something that responds to a good meditation, that a good meditation for me that is uh, fairly free of distraction 
I've never had one totally free of distraction, but um, it tends to uh, cause the indigo ray to uh, to vibrate, to, to uh, come more alive than it usually is. So um, that's basically, there's probably more I could say. You got any questions? Yeah, you, um, the technique you d- described that you developed, what you call it dragging your breath, are you constricting your throat when you do that? Uh, no, not maybe just a little bit. But what more I'm doing is trying to take the breath up into the upper sinuses, so that uh, there's a, a natural kind of roiling or um, boiling <laughs> of the breath. So it's uh, it's 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 hard to describe, <laughs> as you can tell. I'm having trouble here. Uh, it, it just makes the the, the breath active. And, and it um, it gives it more of a role, and it produces more activity in the brain. Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were. Um, I think I attended a pranayama class while at Omega a couple, when Austin and I were at Omega a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was just like an introduction. And I really want to get into pranayama, but basically he laid out the concept of the ways in which uh, working with the breath can do exactly what you were you're feeling, um, activating chakras or shifting balances. And one technique he shared with us was the constricting of the throat. Uh, which creates a louder sounding breath, which is, I thought, what you were doing. Um, and it stimulates the glands near the esophagus, I think, which uh, have some kind of corollary in the chakras. It might be the Blu-ray or Indigo Ray, I'm not sure. But yeah, you're, you're on this self-exploration um, track of seeing, kind of empirically observing um what results you get when you change the breath it's really fascinating a couple of things i've discovered that if you uh, do have the intruding thoughts um most people who teach meditation say just uh, let them drift away uh, don't pay attention to them and and let them go and i pretty much do if uh something is trying to hang on you know if i've got a concern that's followed me into meditation and i'm worried about well, dandelion didn't come to breakfast this morning. Where, where's dandelion? You know, or um, I'm having a, a, a disagreement with this this person somewhere. Um, I've discovered that uh, a couple of things you can do. Um, one, uh, holding the breath for some reason. When you hold the breath, it tends to clo- uh, clear the mind. Uh, another thing that can clear the mind is a, a long, deep, forceful exhal- inhalation and exhalation, like you're rebooting, like you're just blowing away whatever thought it was. And a third thing is that um, you can see each inhalation and exhalation as kind of a cover over the thought. And you can kind of cover it up and all of a sudden it's gone. Hmm. Um, and you can combine those things. So most of the time, though, uh, I find if I just keep on going, uh, don't worry about the thoughts, that they, uh, they, they do begin to fall away eventually. Although sometimes it does take a while. I have a very active mind. And um, sometimes I think that um, in maybe another life or another planet somewhere, I was a pretty good meditator and I I made it hard for myself here. Ra mentioned way back in 81 that I needed more discipline. 
in my meditations. So I'm, I'm working on discipline these days. My, uh, another follow-up, my concept, my, my basic structure of meditation is centered around the, the idea that the more you can rest your attention on a point of focus, which is often the nose or the tip of the nose or the, the breath moving in and out, the more you can do that, the more the monkey mind stops jumping around and taking your attention. The monkey mind learns to quiet down. Would you say that that is true in your case, in your meditation? I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a critical point that I forgot to mention. <laughs> yeah, um, I try to concentrate my attention on the uh, third eye. I've discovered that when I do that, that it seems to be like an activator. It's like a plugging into a power source. Whereas if I don't, if I get uh, you know, lax and I forget to do that, then I'm, I'm kind of um, uh, drifting and I'm not focused. And it's so much more easy to focus if I can... Um, Focus. You know, <laughs> it's either focus if you focus. It's an identity um, on the, uh, the third eye. So that's that's uh, something that I, I definitely do. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. I forgot the obvious. Third eye. Um, I remember. What's his name? Austin. You just Paramahansa Yogananda describes uh, using that as a technique or keeping your attention there. So you're not you're not following the breath per se. I mean, you're aware of the breath, but your your focus is centered on the third eye. Um, both. The oh. focus is on the third eye while I'm uh, inhaling, exhaling with this dragging of the breath. It all becomes automatic after a while. For a while, it it sounds like a lot of stuff to do. Let's see, am I doing anything? Okay. But it all becomes, after a while, it becomes rhythmic. The the, the, the rhythmic activity, the, the, the rhythmic breathing, uh, after a while, uh, seems to help you to automatically get this one-pointed focus. Whereas in the beginning, you create it by your, where you put your attention and uh, trying to hold the attention there and ignore extraneous thoughts. Then after a while, it becomes um, much more natural, and it's uh, it's just a wonderful feeling. It's one of those the things that you just don't want it to stop. I've got more questions, but uh, so as not to hog up the space, Austin, do you? Uh, no, no, keep asking questions. So, would you say that you enter what you would call stillness? And if so, what is? Can you define that or describe it or put words to it somehow? <laughs> um, usually at the end of my meditation, um, I'll slow the inhalations and exhalations and begin to uh, hold my breath longer. And at that time, it seems like the, um, the automatic feeling of the center is in place. And I feel... Uh, yeah, I, I would say still is a, is a, a good uh, way to describe it. it also, um, there's a, a kind of a ethereal feeling of, um, um, uh, I don't know if it's the presence or if it's um, the, the creation around us that's vibrating. Um, I, can't, I can't really say for sure, but there's a, a, a feeling of... Uh, it's not really bliss. You know, I don't feel bliss then, but I, I feel very centered. I feel very 
sure. I feel very comforted. I feel very uh, supported. I, I feel very inspired. And that's what I don't want to have stop. So that's where I am right now. I mean, I don't consider myself a good meditator. Uh, I'm working at this and um, trying to to get better at it. And I think the progress comes really slowly. I think sometimes it comes with a, a little leap forward. All of a sudden, maybe one morning, maybe the stars are right and the, the adept cycle is just the right place for you. And it's easier to get into the meditative state and to get to that automatic point. And you think, ah, oh, I've got it now. What a what a treasure. You know, and the next day, where did where'd it go? Hmm, I'm having to work again. I shouldn't have to work. Um, but I think that it's a, a slow upward movement of uh, gaining ability that you kind of leap ahead and maybe you fall back to where you were and then you leap a little bit ahead. And, and then slowly but surely you uh, you do see a little bit of progress. But uh, like Joel Goldsmith says, it's uh, there is an art to it and it's, it takes a while to learn it. You know, I mean, you can learn chopsticks on the piano fairly quickly but then it's it's a while before you're going to be giving any concerts yeah and that's um my principal problem just consistency because i notice waxing and waning in in the quality of the meditation sometimes it's wow i'm really there and i, I don't know what the common denominator is that causes that but most of the times it's a struggle but it's cumulative and consistency is required and you've got that you're the only person i know right now doing this intensive amount of meditation um so another question when i meditate i find that i'm kind of i'm often using my body to collect the attention i don't know if i'm saying that right but so i find that my attention can go with the tension in my body or be obscured by the tension in my body. Do you feel that your attention is is free of the tension or the sensations or the experience of your body? For most of the time, I think it's pretty, that's true. But um, I usually sit cross-legged. I don't know why. I've just done that all my life. And I, I can't sit cross-legged for much more than 40, 45 minutes. So at some point, I need to straighten my legs out and change the position. But once I've got the body comfortable again, what seems to happen is that the body kind of, um, it's not necessarily goes numb. It just is not a factor anymore. It's mm -hmm. not, I'm not aware of it. Um, but the uh, sitting cross-legged too long will remind me, you know, I, I've got to change positions. So I try to keep the body from inf uh, influencing what's going on and if it gets a little uncomfortable then I change it and then get back to the meditation a non-factor that's really interesting yeah I, I feel like my body is often interfering or obscuring not, not so much like there's this uncomfortable sensation that is taking up my attention but it's just this tension that's held that kind of precludes the gathering of attention it, itself and I think it would be helpful to do like some sort of stretching or clearing work or maybe you know running in place i don't know breathing exercises definitely before meditation well one thing i do before meditation that i, I didn't mention is that uh, i usually offer a, a prayer of gratitude and uh, 
because I've discovered I, I'm, I just feel so blessed. And uh, I want to thank the Creator for that every time so that uh, that helps get me on the right track. And then I uh, usually use my little uh, Alleluia mantra right after that, and that kind of helps get me focused. So I, I, I forgot to mention that too. Another consequence or result or goal of meditation is liberation because as I intellectually understand it, um, when you begin disidentifying from the mind, then you're not trapped or imprisoned by the workings of your mind and even your own experience. You become liberated into that infinite consciousness or into that witnessing awareness that can um, witness the passing play of life with equanimity, without attachment, without aversion. Have you experienced what you would call liberation in that sense? Well, um, I don't know if it would be in that sense. I've noticed that certain uh, interests have fallen away. I haven't tried to make them go away. I mean, I, I don't watch television. I'm not interested in sports. I'm not interested in social events. Um, you know, that and music, you know, I used to listen to music all the time, but now if I hear music, I, I sing my hallelujah to get it out of my mind. So um, I guess that's that's been a factor. And then if I go too long without meditating, I, I have to meditate. I, I miss it. Um, I, I can't get enough. No matter what the meditation I just finished was like, you know, whether it was not so good or good or whatever, I'm eager for the next one. So that's about it. Do you sense, so this eagerness, do you sense that there are yet, for lack of a better term, deeper levels to explore, to experience? Oh, yeah. I just barely scratched the surface. <laughs> I'm a beginner. Um. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, Austin, do you have anything? No. <laughs> uh, we're uh, running on a long episode, so... I mean, I have uh, a lot to share about meditation, but if we all shared everything we had about meditation, we'd probably have a three-hour-long show, I'd imagine. So, uh, nothing for me, no. I was thinking, too, we could take that uh, first question. We could just make this whole podcast about the meditation discussion and uh, slot that question and on to another podcast to we'd need to re-record some stuff to make it work and you would just cut and paste that first question out and we'd need a proper intro to this discussion okay um I think one more question for me, for you, Jim. Ra describes catalyst as, or rather, Ra says that meditation is the most efficient means of using catalyst. Do you know why or how that is? I think it's because it takes us to a deeper and truer level of ourselves. It's closer to the creator where we can um, seat the learning that we have just experienced within our being. Rob mentioned that either you know, the prayerful 
attitude or the contemplative attitude or the meditative attitude was necessary in order to really process and seed our catalyst. So I think it's because we do get down to a level of our own being where we are um, more real, uh, more alive, more aware, um, more able to comprehend what we're doing here in the illusory part of our experience. I've kind of seen it as like um, the way we, our normal state of consciousness and the way that most of us, I venture to say, operate in the day-to-day, our experience kind of uh, jumbles about on the surface of the water and meditation. um, Yeah, let's say that the water is really choppy. So all the content of life tends to get just whipped around on the surface. But meditation is a means of like stilling the water a bit to allow that content to sink down and to make contact with those deeper portions of ourselves that do know how to integrate and process and understand it and so forth. And and that work is done kind of below the threshold of our conscious awareness. And as those gears turn, then uh, fruit is delivered back up to our conscious mind in terms of um, processed life experience, processed catalyst, catalyst which has been utilized. Nice analogy. Yeah, really good. That's the best I can make of it. But uh, that exhausted my question. So back to the question of this being an episode or a podcast about meditation. If a proper introduction is needed, do you want? Do you guys just want to create that and say, "Hey, we're going to have a podcast and just talk about meditation"? Um, yeah, it would just be Jim. Would just need to say something like, "On this episode, we're going to dedicate the whole thing to a discussion about meditation." Yeah, I, that'd be my vote. Okay, that would be the very beginning where I say greetings. This is Jim McCarty. I'm welcoming you to LL Research Podcast. And now and then. Yeah, just imagine you already said all that. And then now you're saying, uh, well, on this episode, we're changing things up a bit and doing this, this other thing. Okay. On this episode, folks, we're going to go in a little bit different direction. We're going to change things up a bit, and we're going to have an entire podcast dedicated to the concept and the practice and the definition of meditation. We're all uh, hoping to use meditation in some form or another in our spiritual seeking, and we've had a lot of questions from folks over the years about meditation and how to do it and how can it help and um, problems with this and that. So we're going to be talking about meditation today. That was perfect. Yeah, that was really good. And now we can do the outro. <laughs> okay. Bookends. You've been listening to LL Researchers week oops. You've been listening to LL Researchers bi-weekly podcast in the now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, lrresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to everybody who sent us questions. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at www.lrresearch.org forward slash podcast. We want you all to know that we love you very much. You are important people in our lives. Whether we ever meet you or not, we feel your presence, we feel your love, we hope that you can feel our love back to you. New episodes are published to the Archive website every other Wednesday afternoon, Eastern Time. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. We'll talk with you then.